Welcome, cycling fans. I hope you've been enjoying all the amazing guests that I've been bringing you on the podcast to date. And before we get started, I want to share with you an amazing way that you can coach with me this winter. So if you've been liking all my coaching segments, you're going to love this program. So it's my 16-week online winter road cycling training program. Say that 10 times fast. So I've been doing this program for over 15 years. It's been usually local, but now it's online, which is even more amazing because I can impact more cyclists this way than in studio. The way it works is you're going to learn valuable cycling skills, such as, have you ever asked yourself, first of all, how can I become a smoother, create a more smooth pedal stroke? Like, what are the four quadrants all these people have been talking about? And how can I get stronger on the hills? So here's the thing. It really comes down to the fundamentals and the basics skills of cycling, which when you get on your bike, you have nothing, you know nothing about. Now this is, that, and that's what I'm gonna drill into you over 16 weeks. So when you finish, you are gonna know how to create a smooth pedal stroke and be more efficient. You're gonna be climbing hills with much better technique. You're gonna be building your sprint base and your endurance base is gonna be much stronger. Now I have a special code for you. It's podcast in all uppercase to get $50 off either the VIP or the basic program. Now go to this website to check out what the differences are. Uh, basically the VIP is a much greater coaching program. So if you want more personalized coaching, goal setting, and we have a reported five to 20% increase in fitness. Can you imagine starting your spring with that kind of increase based on last year? So it's 16wkroadcycling.ca. So that's 16wkroadcycling.ca and use the code podcast to get $50 off. And if you have questions, just email me. I love to answer them. And I hope and look forward to coaching you to become better on the bike. I hope you enjoy the next episode. Have an amazing day. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daewoo, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another, another amazing episode of Secrets from the Saddle, All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Daou. And I, I am so excited to bring this friend of mine on the podcast. Her name is Judy Fitzgerald, and I'm going to give you, uh, I don't have a written bio, but I'm going to tell you how much she means to me because we connected 20, almost 20 years ago. 
So in 2000, I know it's almost like looking at us. I'm going to post a picture of the two of us in 2005. So that's when I started my woman's psych master's race team. And my sister was on it and she found Julie um, at uh, a woman's chat. I don't know. It was like, um, yeah, a woman like coaching a, workshop. A, yeah. A women's coaching workshop. So they connected then she came and became our, my first coach for cycling. And so that, like I said, that was 2005. So back then she taught me everything uh, that I have still use and translate transfer into my clients and my athletes today. And um, she's gone through a lot. Not only did she, I find out just the other day that she had just retired and we were her first coaching clients back then. Um, and, um, and so she's worked with uh, Olympic um, uh, agencies. Um, she's going to tell you more about that and not, well, how long ago did you have your accident? It's going to be eight years in November. So still counting. So that's always a sign, but it's, it's fading. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Cause eight, so eight years ago, she had this debilitating accident where on the job she fell and she hit her head. And we're going to get into a little bit of that, of the concussion. And like I said, it's been eight years. She's been working through the, the accident, the symptoms from the accident. And, um, but before we get into all that, I'm going to bring Julie out. I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm so glad that we've always stayed friends and being connected because, you know, you can't have too many female cycling friends and coaches uh, having your back these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sylvie, for having me and huge congratulations to you for everything you've built in over 20 years, because I'm sure you all of this started before we met and what you've been just still so committed to continuing doing and doing and, and just seeing from afar it's, it's really amazing. So congratulations to you. <laughs> Actually, it started with you <laughs> in 2005. <laughs> uh, maybe 2000, like I started the spinning studio before that, but my true cycling experience started with you when I just like, hey, I want to have a master's woman's team. And I grabbed a couple girls that I knew, hey, you want to race? And we're all just like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> and we, we hired somebody to take us through the ropes and uh and look yeah yeah still doing it to this day and um I have a lot you know to to thank Julie for so um I'm just so excited that uh, she said yes to be on this <laughs> podcast because like oh my god it's like ah, if I could spend more time with you I would um but Let's get into, I always love to start the podcast, just getting into the background as to how you got into cycling, because her dad, Pierre Coutibault, is a, I don't say, I don't say a world, like an internationally famous um, coach. He coached me for a little bit. I have stories about him, um, but he coached Julie. 
So Julie, take us back to when you got into cycling. <laughs> I know it's well, <laughs> we're recording in the times of the Olympics, Tokyo 2020, going full speed, and we are filled with stories about athletes and, and their journey. And, you know, I don't have that much credit on how I started with cycling because I feel like some Italian families might have always done homemade pasta and they just start a restaurant. So for me, cycling is is my babysitting, it's my family, it's my legacy. And um, I've got to realize this probably in the DNA. How can an activity be in a DNA? I have no idea. But as we continue, as I'm aging and there's other generations coming after, that cycling is still there. So uh, my dad is French and uh, moved to Canada, Montreal. So I was raised over there with him and um, we're basically living him and I together uh, the weekdays. And at the time that it was post-Olympics in 1976, where we had a velodrome in Montreal, right? And my father was already involved in cycling. He was a cyclist back in France. So cycling was my babysitting. The velodrome was my daycare after, after school. The, he was coaching. So the athletes that he was coaching were coming at home for the meetings because I was there. So I learned to play Uno with, with the guys. And, you know, so oh it's gosh. really um, some of your uh, listeners, viewers might know the Mardi Lachin weekly race in Montreal. So every Tuesday night, I would follow my dad over there. So, you know, on. one thing's led to another. And, um, and I have to say, um, Again, it's a very timely um, moment for us to meet, um, and I'm, you know, will uh, I'll honor another member of my family through you. Here is uh, my uncle Michel Lutzebo has passed uh, just this week suddenly, and uh, he has done a lot for mountain bike uh, international and in France. So, and that brings back the whole legacy. So, I am the fifth generation in, in cycling. So, it goes to first world war in Europe and uh, and that those stories are coming out at the moment a little bit because of, of the, the sudden passing so I guess that's how I started right by by having the family in there hearing stories about the Tour de France watching the Tour de France every summer going to the races uh, to the cycling scene in Quebec when I was a kid and I did not race as a as a kid that's uh I think that was a, lot, uh, a conscious, conscious choice for my father. <laughs> so I did another oh. sport. So I picked mm -hmm. it up on my own later on and I decided to race as well. Ah, so so when that's did the you first quote racing? scope. Uh, when, did, when did you I'm, start racing? Because you did. Yeah. So because I know you were in Europe racing because you had, when we met you, you had kind of finished. And yeah, but back. I was already in my late 20s uh, I reckon so I was a swimmer for 10 years as a kid and age group and teenage uh, then stopped and some point in university I decided to go back to to racing uh, to competing but didn't know I was old you know you're old at 20 years old to start a new sport so and I knew I wanted to do something more than in yeah exactly so 
And then if I was going to commit, it was to do something more than what I did in swimming and go a bit of a higher level. So then you look at it really bluntly, say, what can I do? And I, I look at some entrance sport and then I had a little bit of a, an advantage with cycling being that I knew what um, an échappé, a breakaway, all these terminology, what it means, what a, I, I knew a little bit of the, the atmosphere and the world and the culture of cycling. So um, I've decided to give it a go and my butterflies shoulders to bring them into my quads <laughs> like take the v and turn it upside down <laughs> they, yeah because it, it, it was it was massive You're like fabulous <laughs> so yeah that's how i started so i was uh, at uni and i was 20 years old when i made a decision i think my first race i was something like 21 years old i think yeah. Wow. So it's never too late, guys. Never too late. That is, that is, and then I met a whole bunch of. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's funny because yeah. I think we always talk about how, um, you know, you shouldn't start kids too young because, you know, by the time, like they just don't, they don't get to experience their, their life as a, as a kid. And then they're just burnt out by the time they're like 17 and you know ACL and all but I love that you started late because your dad must have been ecstatic uh, I would <laughs> let him answer that question you can keep that one um but um you know I remember when I was in my teenage year my father was building bikes and he was also running a weekly race like a training races like we have here in Ottawa and um, so I would go there as well. After my swimming practice, I would bus and go there. And people, this is where they start ask me if I was if I was gonna race. So and my father would really answer before me. She was a swimmer. So so oh, that's uh, he respected that, right? But he respected that, and that was my identity, and that was my world and my independence. So so that's great. Then then there's something about racing and achieving through sport and yes it helps in somewhat to have a goal and to have benchmarks <laughs> so so the whole events scene helps in that in that sense and I was not able to just exercise for my, my own well-being I just wasn't there yet <laughs> so uh, um so this is how cycling came across and and you know education has a long has a long way in in, in there because although I'd never raced I always had a road bike and I knew how to ride a bike with clip-ons clip and I knew how to shift gears. Uh, I was the shifters on the frames, but I still knew that. So my father just ensured that I could have fun and I could be safe riding a road bike. Um, and I grew up in France a lot too. So, so cycling was a mode of transportation and leisure. It was not about, about uh, racing. So, so that's, I think that helps. And for the parents out there listening, it's, it's, it's a motto that I try to, to have. I have children. So it's just to educate them and tool them. And then they get to decide what they want to do. So. At that spot too, you know, mm -hmm. like um, exposing them to, you know, enough uh, sports out there to see which one they gravitate to. And then, 
you know, but cycling's in there. It's not one of the main ones, unfortunately, but they're still on their bikes and that's all that matters because, you know, as long as they're developing in a sport, staying active, that's truly um, what's important to me. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want them to be like so tired of some sport unless, you know, because they think that they need to be there because I want them there. Um, but more so that, you know, they want to be there, Mm -hmm. but so, all right. So you found yourself cycling at the age of 20, 20, 21. So how did you, okay. So was, were you like in the Quebec circuit? Were you doing that kind of? Yes. And I was still living in Montreal. However, my father had moved to Ottawa and, and live on the Quebec side here. So, uh, quickly I already felt the time ticking so (laughs) I need to get at this fast so left the apartment moved back to dad's like a lot of people for two years to finish my degree in at Ottawa U and then start to travel in the winter to do the base mileage and also I did my coaching certification there because as an adult you know you are an adult an adult athlete you're no more a student athlete and you need to take ownership, right? It's at a time where all my friends would go find a job and start their life. And here I was just starting to travel with my bike. So are you always with your coach? No, you know, cycling is very, is very specific as a sport, right? For the, the coach athlete relationship as well. So, so that was my, my second major piece as I made the decision was also education. I had some experience with swimming in swimming, you had the mercy of your coach when you're young, especially, and in the 90s. So um, there's something I didn't want to recreate there. So I want to understand what I was going to do. I want to understand coaching. So I started the coaching certification, the old pathway, uh, um, as I started to race. And uh, yeah, the Quebec circuit, I was a resident of Quebec. Um, and uh, there's a race every Sunday. I bought a car. <laughs> yeah you gotta have, to have a car <laughs> you gotta have a car to go ride your bike <laughs> gotta be able to travel because uh they're not yes. all close yes. so how did you get yes. over to europe how'd you because like when i met you you were fully sponsored by terry terry mm-hmm. bikes or terry clothing it was anyways it was a female company mm-hmm. i remember yeah. that um but how did you land over in Europe? Because you need a certain, you need to be a certain, well, I guess you don't need to be at a certain level to go over in Europe. You can, you can travel up the ranks in Europe. Well, again, my advantage was that I'm from France as well. I have my nationality and my family owns a cycling club that for 90 years now. So wow, yes. And okay. they live very close from the airport in Paris. So there's kind of a hub there. There's tons of cyclists. And back in the day, I am that old. There was not necessarily a woman's race every weekend here, right? Or there was maybe five girls at the start line. Um, So some of that still is still the the reality. So also I could, I was able to access a fully woman's race almost every weekend because there's a lot of, of, of women that were racing in France. And from there, and a lot of teams that 
in clubs. So from there, I was able to introduce myself and find clubs and, and do a full season or at least four months of racing on my own. And, and you experience the European lifestyle where you cross a border, a country in three hours drive. And, you know, so in Quebec, you would drive six hours or in Ontario, six hours to go a Sunday race. So over there, you drive the six hours and you access this field of 80 girls on the start line. Right. So my family was instrumental. They hosted me a lot, especially those first two years where I had to get better. I had to train. I had to put the mileage, put, put the watts into my quads. There's yeah, no yeah for sure. There's <laughs> <laughs> no secrets. Yeah, that's right. Head down, keep the wheel. Yes, do so, it again. Yes, yes. And kudos to the community in, in Ottawa, the cycling community in Ottawa, because I would still touch base here for to finish my university. And this was my base. And we have such so they really taught me a lot. Um, we have such strong cyclists in the region so they were very nice with me and I guess I was just oblivious yes please help me and I, I yeah, would receive yeah, all the really. help yeah give me some please. <laughs> so so there were the community has been very generous with me when I the first couple of years um and I've I've had the chance to thank them first and um and yeah, and then after that, I was able to to get some some contracts in Europe to pro teams, and and got an entry to to the the World Cup circuit and the international races because there's UCI races. You know, the circuit was happening over there. That was before the really the boom of the American races and the circuit here. So I had more contacts over there, and I was I could mingle a couple languages. So that always helps. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> integration and uh yeah so i uh, was not extremely stable <laughs> i did not spend three four years with the same team um but i i knew which races i wanted to go right yeah so did you spend more time racing by yourself or did you were you able to build um build up i guess your your performance within a team like were you with a team a long enough or yes every year i was with a team and and to you one of your comments in the introduction uh, um, what does it take you know to race in europe and we hear a lot about the culture and to to adapt to the, the host culture right and it's the whole point of traveling and immigration and that so um so my first full season i was with what a club, just a regional club that had a women's team in France and they provide us lodging. We were six foreigners, three boys and three girls, two Canadian girls, uh, a girl from, from Ontario as well. And, uh, and they provided the equipment and transport and race entry. Oh, okay. That's good. Right. So, yeah. So, so that's basically how it was done. Then another year I was in Spain with a bit of the same setup. Uh, and then I was able to access international uh, UCI races, uh, stage races. So, so then that was another uh, block. And then I went to Italy, um, then did the same thing over there and found host housing. And then I was able to get an entry for the Giro d'Italia. 
and then I went to that led me it opened the door to a Swiss team and this is why I did my last full year of racing with a Swiss team and again host housing and in, in my days what you want mostly is having access to the competition to the racing and then you you have your training program and then you you race and you do your job with the teammates and then everyone goes back to their to their home right there's often two or three foreigners and guest riders that um, have their host housings and everyone else have their lives some people a lot of women work as well um, so for me I was working remotely doing contracts uh, <laughs> um, to get by uh so so that's a lot then when we met it's actually i had decided to settle back in ottawa i had decided that i was looking forward to just settle and then a couple of weeks later i met uh the guy who's today my husband after 15 years happens yeah 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 so then this shifted the yeah the focus shifted and it's like all right I'm not going to go away for six months anymore. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so you said, now I remember asking you way back when about your salary, about how much you made as a pro racer. And you looked at me, you're like, uh, <laughs> I think you said like 1200 a month or something. Um, so Yeah. <laughs> and that been, there's also the, that, <laughs> yeah there's also that big movement now for equality for women cyclists to some carding and yeah. yes yes well again back in my days i mean it was uh, the early 2000 years um and then also in the states there was the booming of this new circuit with the criteriums and really a big movement for uh, um uh Equality for equality between men and women, especially in the prize money. So uh, it was before social media. So there was also a huge disconnect between the continents and getting information and, and that. Um, so how did I? No, I never had a salary. Just to answer it bluntly, oh. but I I had sponsors and I had personal relationships with with companies and I would. We would talk about values. We would have shared values, and this is and this supported my my journey and my dream. And then I would, uh, you know, I would give back. And when I was would was coming home, then you know, so that's how I made it happen. Between that and the support from the team, plus uh, Quebec has a very strong program for identified and, and benefit from from that tax credit um, program. So um, yeah, and then and then you figure out ways, right? There's yeah, a bit of entrepreneurship, like... I guess, that that was there back then, just I think a bit like you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it must have been a bit harder back then try to, to make it all happen, like try to have like contracts on the side because I like I've chatted and I've interviewed a couple of the girls who are on the Canadian, um, well, let's take the Canadian Olympic team for road. Um, um, uh, Andrian Bonham. Andrian Bonham. Uh, yeah, I uh, talked to her and I talked to a couple of girls who were on the track team. And it was always like, you know, 
do you do anything extra to make money? And I was just like, no, this is my job. And, um, but then I came across one, Lex Albrecht. I'm sure you've met Lex. I'm like, so what'd you do? <laughs> she's a little hustler. I love her. Like, I was just like, yeah, she's like, I had, she's like, I made things uh, work. I had little contracts. I just, I just, so it was, it's, it's funny to see like, you know, who's doing a little bit extra. I mean, with social media, you can do so many different things online to be, you know, just to make a little extra money, um, you know, to just make ends meet. Right. Yeah. Based on I would work in the winter day in the winter months. Yeah. Right. Come home, get, get a contract, a lot of coordination and, and project planning and, uh, then work for the sponsors as well. Um, and then, yeah, then planning the next year and planning the budget that you need. And it's something, it's one thing to make a living when you're yourself and your bike and you're okay to eat white pasta every day <laughs> and living anywhere. Yeah, then, right. you know, then having uh, other kind of, uh, <laughs> of links. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one thing I, I, I noticed about you is that you work really hard for your sponsors. Like, you know, I always see you with like, cause you, um, so Terry, I always saw you with your Terry stuff. And then you worked with a lady in Montreal and you always worked like promoting her product. I can't remember the name. You always had her clothes on all the time. Yeah, the back so pocket. So get Saint Laurent. So the clothes from K KSL clothes. So yeah, she's KSL. a former, uh, yes. yeah, former teammate. Oh, oh my god! So and she had a dream, and when she stopped racing, she started a company, and today this is from KSL. Oh, get Saint stand Laurent. up, stand up. Are you wearing one? There of you things? go. Well, okay, I don't want to oh, change. That's pretty nice. Always a little pocket at the back, and my yeah, pants yeah, as well. But little... I. I won't change my setup. No, no, that looks, that's really pretty. And um, I still, and I purchased a bunch, a uh, couple of things from her too. Mm -hmm. um, especially the, I have the under panties, the, the chamois panties. I don't know what they are, but I, you know, I can put them underneath any kind of capri, which is nice for short rides. They're awesome. And Never the demand them. is there. She's been, yeah, she's been pressured to produce more. She, um, uh, she yeah. yeah. She named every clothes with a with a first name. So for all the viewers there, this is called the the in French la culotte Eve. So the Eve panty, but it's really just a chamois that you can put underneath any kind of shorts and leggings and go on your bike ride and be in full uh, comfort. <laughs> yes, you know, I, like I said, these are great for anything yep. under forty kilometers. Over forty, you might want something more substantial that won't move, but yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah, like sure. just like. Yep. I like these capris. I want this booty. It's important to give back. And, you know, I've always associated myself with entrepreneurs. So even the sponsors. So they had a dream as well. So if I can give back, I'm not shy to have brands on me. And if it's a way that I can give back to them, I'm all, we as long as we share values, I will always endorse, right? And so like Ketsi, KSL and my other sponsors that were not in cycling, we have the same values and that's how we connect and then we can partner. 
totally, I totally agree. And it totally yeah. makes sense. And it, it um, definitely, you, it's a win-win for everybody. Now let, so moving forward, we connect 2005, you retire, you find your husband, things set up in a, now, um, I want to talk to you because you got some really, you worked really closely with the Paralympic department, I want to say, and you went to a couple of Paralympic, Paralympics, and you worked really closely with the, I want, no, not the security, the, um, uh, it was to make sure that the accessibility yes, of yeah. buildings, like you yeah. go on site, make sure that all your, the, you know, disabled para-athletes are able to access like yes. all buildings. And I thought that was amazing. Like you were so ingrained in that. That was like. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Life brought me there and that's been a blessing. So when we met, I was. I was uh, really putting in action the career transition and, and, and was going into becoming a coach full time. And uh, so I was happy that, you know, we met and partnered and, and then I had uh, a few other um, athletes and also I took over the, the coaching and, and management of the Terry cycling team where I met oh, yeah, uh, okay. others and Megan Garney came out of there, just true champion in, in the States. So, uh, so really by managing the teams, this is really, I, I loved it. I loved it. And I was again, contractual with managing some local teams here at, at, at the Canadian stage races. I went to Canada games for the Quebec team as a coach. And then I got pregnant, which was the, the plan. And so that was all good. I already had a stepson. So I got pregnant. So grabbed a baby with me and doing okay. all the fun stuff that you do with a baby on, on your lap and, you know, before you're about to drive for four hours behind a caravan. Yes. And <laughs> then the first thing you say, good job, girls. Well, I'll grab my baby, right? <laughs> so, uh, get back at that. the house. Yep. <laughs> and um, then we had an idea of having another child. So when the third one came along and even through the pregnancy, I discovered a whole more stability and the perks of having a maternity leave and having, you know, that kind of thing. So, so did a contract was, was again, very uh, lucky to, to get in, got a contract, got a, some sort of maternity leave. And then with the third kid, that coaching and being on the road just started to be a little yeah. bit difficult and yeah. hats off all my admiration for the coaches out there, men and women, now parents with the young kids. Um, it's, it's very a choice. It's very a choice. So I chose to stay home a bit more. And one thing I knew was uh, coordinating sports team. And we were at the time that the Parasport movement, the Paralympic movement was reblooming. We were after the 2008 games in Beijing, where, was, um, where the Paralympics happened right after the Olympics and really received the same kind of level of, of recognition. 
and support and infrastructures and all that. So Canada cycling in general has always been a, pro a protagonist into promoting paracycling and, um, and Quebec being one. So when I joined the Quebec provincial projects and training camps, there was always paracyclists with us, always. Uh, I remember your dad was a big- um, Louis Bar And Louis Barbeau and Eric Van Den Eyn and they all integrated them, right? So yeah. my first training camp with the Quebec team. We had Julie Cournoyer, a visually impaired athlete. We had Jean-Claude Villon. We had Gary Longhi. We had all these really uh, legends of, of, of Canadian paracycling that were with us. So when I was at a point where I was looking for stability, but still so passionate about sport, Cycling Canada was had an opening for a paracycling uh, really program, standalone program, and, and they had postings. So I applied and I, and they, and they trusted me. So I started to work with the paracycling, uh, program and team, uh, got to do, got to go, sorry, to, uh, paracycling world championships, track and road. So that just lit me up and yeah. th that was, I already was acquainted with it, but that was, yeah, I want to do it. And, and I recognize that because also as a teenage, I was working at the Women's Tour de France in the summer, you know, so, so they're all racing oh. and, and yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And stage, stage races and, and organizing and working with teams. I, I really loved it when I was 18, 20 years old in my summers before I, I raced. So then I, I, I got it again by by going to the to the worlds. Jacques Landry uh, trusted me and really gave me an opportunity that that uh, yeah that if you, if they would have not if there was not a team trusting me with this I would have not been where I am now in terms of career transition. It's it, yeah that's another topic. <laughs> um, and then through that the Paralympic Committee uh, was after then we got to Vancouver 2010, which was huge for Canada. And the Paralympic Committee really had this mandate of, again, being equal to the, to the Olympic Committee and to bring all the Paralympic sports. So again, a lot of opportunities uh, for application, for postings, for development. The Paralympic, Paralympic movement was just blooming. So for me, I, I, j'ai pris ma chance. So it was, I tested out. Um, and it worked out. And then, yeah, I was fortunate to go to some major games and, and to be really into the, uh, the, the games coordination hands-on right in there. And, and big part of my mandate was that transition between the Olympic able body to the Paralympics. So, by, for example, the, inspe the, the site inspections. So to making sure that they would do all the adaptations we need to have afterwards. The clothing, to make sure we would have all the adaptation on the clothing, right, on, in terms of uh, zippers and just accessibility friendly. Yeah, because I remember I volunteered for you. You did, the pick and packages. Patch. I think, yes. and that was like, I volunteered to help package like all the, the, the athletes' kits. Exactly. In their, in their rolling luggage. <laughs> Just like, wow. There you go. And I think that would I have been not, for London, I guess. Yes. Sorry. But I think not too long after that was when you had your accident. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? Because I was just yeah. like, wow, like I was just there. 
<laughs> well, I can't remember which games exactly you came, but uh, it might have been Sochi actually, if it was a big rolling suitcase. So, I believe it. So, yeah, yeah, there I was like the rolling suitcase, and you yeah. had and you like yeah, like rows <laughs> and the shopping cart. And yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. always a bit impressive, right? And uh, yeah, we're like, looking for volunteers. They're always looking <laughs> for volunteers, and and it's fun. <laughs> It is. I mean, like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, that's worth being the athlete right there is getting that, that swag bag. <laughs> that's not a swag bag. That's like a duffel bag full of fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yep. yeah. Anyways. Mm -hmm. yep. And then, so, and then, you know, just a, <laughs> just a little accident happened and it was just before Sochi. I was all set to go Sochi. So that did not happen. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, there was uh, a deception because uh, a disappointment I had, uh, but I had to deal with it. And, um, and it became, you know, a bit of a longer recovery journey uh, where I got introduced to re readaptation and for myself and again I mean I'm forever grateful that I was able to be around athletes with all kinds of disabilities born with it they were congenitals because when it was my turn to embrace this phase of readaptation and you know I I, again, I had a little bit of orientation already because I knew people, I've heard conversations about that. I've heard their, their stories about it. So a little bit like cycling back in the day, right? I already <laughs> yeah. knew a little bit. It was not as intimidating. So here it was not scary. It was not a huge mountain. It was, oh, wow, that's it, you know? So, oh, wow, now what? Well, let's go at it. You know, yeah, because it's, it's um, a training like any kind of training. Yeah, because and I think maybe this is this is worth like having a second interview with you just to talk all about that because um, I'm like honestly like just watching you through the years because I would come over every once in a while to say hi, and you be and you just tell me about your your journey. Um, and here, here the thing is, guys, um, and I think that, you know, because we're 45 minutes in already, and I know Judy um, asked to not go too long just because um, of her, you know, focus on, on the conversation. And so this is maybe where I'd love to, if you're okay with this, um, we'll just, and I'm just going to give and we'll just talk a teensy bit before we finish, because I want you guys to come back and I want you to listen to this. Um, we all know somebody who's suffered from a concussion and concussions can happen from multiple blows or a serious blow to some part of the head. And it depends on that part of the head. I mean, Julie, you can correct me, but this is kind of what I understand that it, it will affect you differently. And I watched Julie go from like a, I don't, I don't want to cry, a massively like moving forward woman, mom, um, to like basically starting over. And, um, and, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm so glad she's where she is today. And I'm so oh. glad. 
Sylvie is the other way around. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, um, she's such a strong woman. And to see her the other week when she came to the event, I was just like, oh my God, you know, we just started together like so long ago. And um, anyways, I love you. <laughs> so fun. So anyways, Sylvia, thank you. <laughs> my mascara is gonna run all of my face. I'll get, take a break. <laughs> I know I need over. to break now. <laughs> but anyways, um, just to say that I am super glad that that you've been here, and um, and this is where I want you to talk more about your experience. <laughs> yeah, your experience. Let me compose myself. And I'm happy to do it. And thank you for your awareness. Uh, I'm okay cognitively. Uh, so <laughs> that you um, you did could just give me goosebumps and that's where it cracked me up. Um, yeah, because you never know how long it's going to be. And when it's just long and long and long, you're just like you're in, in disbelief, right? Um, and uh, what else? Sorry, I lost track of my my thought from all these wonderful emotions. <laughs> yeah, because um, I know it's been a, a journey for you, because a long journey, and and you've come a long way, and not so many people mm. would probably push that hard. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've hid I've hid away. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? you saying okay um so what's the point here um the point here is is a huge thank you uh thank you for staying there uh the thing with post-concussive syndrome i think it's that that duality on one side and the duality and wanting to reach out and not being able to always having that feeling that you're not doing enough because every communication is, is creating a strain and is tiring you up. I had three kids, the kids were young, um, couldn't do homeworks, couldn't cook. So that was my main focus. And, and I tackled it as an athlete, especially after a couple of months when I saw that the ticket was long. I was in for the long haul. And with my fellow, called it concussed friends and we all that from the rehab center i've i was telling them in our weekly sessions that how are you guys doing it because you were not athletes before and my athletic drive got me to every day you know i was so focused on doing what i need to do for the rehab including the pacing including the resting including resting my brain so that i could be the best version of myself for the two hours that I had with the children at night uh, so that was my focus um, it was so hard to leave to be away I'm quite social person still uh, I, I like people I like cycling and going to a race and my earplugs my goggles it, and then I would take two days to recover so that was really the hard part L leave aside of what am I going to do for, for <laughs> with my life <laughs> Um, and there was, but again, education, I go back to, to this piece. So as soon as I was 
a little bit okay. Um, yeah, two pieces is also there were some courses. We were talking more and more about concussion. Um, mindfulness had just been, uh, how do you say it, recognized as one of the top three tools, resources that really do help recovery from post-concussive syndrome. So from that moment on, a lot of research and courses and workshops start to, to be available for people. And that was my year two and my year three of concussions, 2015 and 16. And um, so I educated myself. I followed them, even though it was, and we used this with, with the group of therapists because I was in speech therapy and all that. So we used the, this as exercises, just like we would do intervals on the bike on the trainer. So my techniques, I was doing it with the content was post-concussive, post-concussion syndrome, uh, recovery and management and, and, and all that. So I need to understand how, how to be reliable to myself. And um, so, so two things here is first, whatever you're dealing with, if you're able to reach out and to have your team of experts around you, and it's not one person that's going to know everything. It was the expert around you and have them talk to each other and be on, on your file, own your thing. So as an athlete, own what you're doing, understand your nutrition, understand your injury recovery, understand your intervals training. Um, and, and in my case, that's how I was as a coach with the athletes. I would link them with, with the expert. Uh, we, I worked with a junior here in Ottawa. I went to Junior Worlds. I was just her, her anchor. And then we were reaching out to the specialists in different fields. That's, that's my trademark. That's how I go at things. That's how I, I, I parent. My kids have their, their team. So I had my team. and. Um, and, and that's how I tackled, plus the education to understand. And up to today, I'm not an expert. I don't have the certification to, to help someone to recover from concussion or traumatic brain injury. Um, but I can help a little bit. And I can help by just being an advocate and, and saying that it's not about what you cannot do. It's about what you can do. Today, you're adapting uh, with, with the time frame, with the way we prepare, you have, you adapted to me, and so I'm able to to show up for you and for your audience, and and I'm I'm super super grateful for that, right? Uh, so two days ago, I was not another, uh, I was a different person, and I did my work so that I could be, so I could look like. You know, yeah. no one knows there's an invisible right. injury in there. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to sleep for the rest of you. Yeah, yeah. But so that's eight. my last message. It's, it's yes, it's integration, it's accessibility, it's adaptability in the lifestyle. If it goes with the workplace, with your equipment for work, uh, in your schedule with your children, how much do you fit in when you have 10 minutes extra? Allow yourself to be early to an appointment, to a practice, to, to something, you know, just, just breathe in and, um, and I'd be happy to talk more about it. <laughs> you're the most, the, you're the strongest woman I know. Like, honestly, I love talking to you. I wish, I wish we had more time to talk, not here, but like, just hang out 
and talk. So next time you go to your cottage, you better stop by. Yeah. And see, oh. that's exactly the duality. I always feel I'm, yes. So there's lots, there's still lots to do. And, and I'll tell you, I want, I want back in cycling. I, I, oh, I like well, it. Well, I you want better it. I like it. I don't know how. But... Girl, because I might have something for you. Oh, boy. Oh, and, and, and okay. And everybody just know that I've been bugging Julie to work with her for years before <laughs> this. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time. Who knows? But you guys are just going to have to wait and find out because this is, we're going to bring it to an end. Julie, I mean, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but we're going to book her in for another, um, a continuation on to, of this because um, it's really worth talking about more concussion, like just that whole subject. So you have to rest up for that one. Um, <laughs> but we'll do it this fall. Um, and, uh, just talk about because athletes and concussion, it's, it's a huge, huge topic. Um, and, um, but I think it's worth really listening to what Julie did to help herself through. It's been eight years, right? Eight years. I've seen people get over concussions really quickly. You just only know from the outside you just don't, you don't know from the inside. My daughter suffers from concussion symptoms still. Um, and I don't even, you know, it's, it's hard as a parent to watch that happen, but I know that, you know, Julie, it's, it's worth listening to her and how she processes it. Because did you just hear what she was saying? Interval training. Um, and, and that's a really interesting way of uh, thinking about it. So you guys are just going to have to wait Thank you, everyone who uh, caught this episode. Please share this with somebody you know who could um, really benefit from our discussion. Thank you, Julie, for being there and for coming on. I know I've been bugging you for a while. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah. And, um, and don't forget to uh, subscribe and follow. And follow both of us on Instagram. Um, everything, uh, will be in the show notes where you can find us and you have yourselves an amazing day and right. You got to subscribe. So you don't miss another amazing episode of whatever, whoever I bring out to interview. Cause you never know, you never know. So thanks so much, Julie. So appreciate you. Sylvie. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great inspiring cycling stories to you. 
Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.